Tonight we're continuing in Isaiah, and uh, tonight we're looking at chapter 21. Chapter 21, and chapter 21 is broken up into three sections, and these three sections deal with three different nations that were around Israel, Judah, at that particular time. And all of these nations have been either outright enemies of God's people, or at least they've been pesky neighbors of God's people throughout their history. And as we've seen in the last several chapters, these are messages of judgment that God is going to deal with each one of these nations in their turn, in the time when God deems it right, according to his righteous and perfect justice. And so the three nations that are covered in chapter 21 are Babylon, Edom, and Arabia. Babylon, Edom, and Arabia. Now, if you remember what back when we first started this section of the oracles to the nations, chapter 13 was the very first one, and it also dealt with Babylon. So we're kind of coming around full circle, if you will. He's already talked about Babylon and God's judgment that's going to be coming. And now it's almost like uh, part two of God's judgment on Babylon, the sequel, if you will. And what's very interesting about this particular message against Babylon is that it seems to kind of weave together two different instances in the history of Babylon as a nation. So uh, chapter 21, verses 1 through 10, deals with Babylon. And these 10 verses deal with the fall of Babylon, with its destruction with uh, its being conquered by a foreign power. But what's interesting is that depending on which verse or even which part of a verse you're looking at, it could point to something a little bit farther down the road with the Medes and the Persians, say around 539 BC. Now remember, Isaiah is living, he's probably giving these messages in the 730s, 720s. And so the Babylon doesn't fall to the Medes and the Persians till about 539 BC. And he specifically mentions the Medes and the Persians in this passage. But then there are also other parts of it that seem to deal with um, something a little bit closer at hand to Isaiah's time. And in the late 600s, so really not too far away from Isaiah's time, maybe 20, 30 years away from the time that Isaiah lived, Babylon decided that it was going to try to uh, revolt, rebel against Assyria. And Assyria pretty much squashed that revolt, which was another time that Babylon um, was defeated in battle. So, and both of those kind of come into view at different times. And, and so it's, it's hard and it's almost like Isaiah the prophet is telescoping. That's, that's a word that some Bible interpreters use to describe when a prophet describes two events that are separated by time. But for him, it looks like almost as if they're the same time. And so kind of like a, the idea of remember those old time telescopes that or like the sailors used to use where they'd bring them up and they would extend. That, that's kind of the idea is you can fold it up into one piece or you can telescope it into two or three segments and it, and it goes out farther. 
that's kind of the idea of telescoping. So it looks like this thing that's going on with Assyria and this thing with Babylon or with the Medes and the Persians are right next to each other. But in time and actual history, there's about 150 years in between the two. And so, and Isaiah may be kind of bringing these two different events together to show, I think, one of his main points through this whole chapter or through this whole section of Isaiah. And that is for God's people to not put their trust in these nations. Don't put your trust in these nations. And so by alluding to two different times that Babylon would fall, it's almost like a double emphasis on uh, th- that message. Don't trust Babylon. Babylon's not going to help you out. There, look at here. Here are times when Babylon's going to fall and be defeated. Don't put your trust in them. And so it's almost an, an extra emphasis on that theme. And so Babylon, Edom, and then Arabia, he deals with in this passage. So let's look at it kind of verse by verse. Verse number one says a prophecy against the desert by the sea, like whirlwinds sweeping through the Southland. An invader comes from the desert, from a land of terror. You say, how do we know he's talking about Babylon? Well, the, the desert by the sea doesn't really help us out a whole lot because around that area, that could apply to several different places, right? The desert by the sea. It's not until we get to verse nine that we see specifically Babylon called out by name. So this is just another kind of poetic description of Babylon as the desert by the sea. And most interpreters think it's probably referring to the Persian Gulf. So this area that that today would be Iraq is where historic Babylon is. And so probably the nearest major body of water to that is the Persian Gulf. And that could be what is referred to here by the desert by the sea. And the idea of whirlwinds sweeping through is just the idea of quickness, of swiftness, and of just coming in invaders sweeping over the land and achieving victory. A dire vision has been shown to me. And I think Isaiah is the one that he's referring to there. So this vision has been shown to Isaiah. The traitor betrays. The looter takes loot. Elam, attack. Media, lay siege. I will bring to an end all the groaning that she caused. And the the she there is Babylon. So all the groaning that Babylon caused, all of its all of its terror, all of its tyranny, especially over God's people, would be judged, would be punished, again, by an instrument or a tool of God's choosing. And verse 2 tells us who that tool is. It's the Medes, he mentions media, and then Elam is another name for, or at least a portion of the group that later became known as the Persians. So you've got the Persians and the Medes, which in Daniel's day, they had merged together into a single empire. And they were the ones who defeated Babylon in, in, the, in Daniel's time. And so that, this is, seems to be what Isaiah is pointing to. And that's what I was mentioning. It looks like, at least in this part, he's looking far into the future, 150, 200 years into the future, talking about 
Babylon falling to the Medes and the Persians. And what's interesting about that is that in Isaiah's day, Babylon hadn't even yet really risen to become the most dominant empire on the scene yet. Assyria still was. But here he's, he's looking a couple of empires down the road and showing that, yeah, Babylon's going to get strong, but then they're going to be conquered by the Medes and the Persians. And the Medes and the Persians are God's tool of judgment against the Babylonians. At this, my body is racked with pain. Pangs seize me like those of a woman in labor. I am staggered by what I hear. I am bewildered by what I see. And so this is Isaiah speaking again. And this is kind of Isaiah expressing his shock and his amazement at what is being revealed to him by God, that, that this would unfold in this way. And to think about these far distant peoples, the, the Medes, people of Elam, the Persians, to think of them conquering Babylon, that was a shocking thing to think about for Isaiah, because that was, that was just so far removed from his reality at that particular moment that it was shocking to him. It gripped him in, in that moment of shock. He even likens it to uh, labor pains. Just it, it grabbed me, got a hold of me. My heart falters. Fear makes me tremble. The twilight I longed for has become a horror to me. So this is, this is poetic language. Isaiah describing the feeling of seeing this vision. Now he's just seeing the vision. Can you imagine the people who are going to have to endure this? to go actually go through this time of judgment from God, this invasion. They set the tables, they spread the rugs, they eat, they drink. Get up, you officers, oil the shields. Now, what is that referring to? A couple of the different commentaries that I looked at suggested that if this is referring to the fall of the Babylonians in 539 B.C., to the Medes and the Persians, then this verse could very well be talking about the night that Babylon fell to the Medes and the Persians while King Belshazzar was inside partying with his guests. You read Daniel chapter 5, and it shows Belshazzar feasting and drinking on the night that the Medes and the Persians are besieging the city of Jerusalem. And Daniel even comes in, and that's, that's that famous vision of the handwriting on the wall. And Daniel comes in and says, King, tonight, tonight's the end, right? That was the, as they were partying and having this feast, the Medes and the Persians were on the on, outside the walls, besieging um, Babylon. And so there's images here of, of partying, but also with maybe getting ready for war. Get oil the shields, get them ready, prepare them. But let's have this pre-war feast, if you will. But they never actually got to go to war because the Medes and the Persians just attacked them and besieged them. And so it's kind of an image of pride, but pride coming before a fall, right? So this is what the Lord says to me. Go and post a lookout and have him report what he sees. And when he sees chariots with teams of horses, riders on donkeys or riders on camels, let him be alert, fully alert. 
And so Isaiah pictures himself here as a watchman. And he isn't the only prophet that refers to himself that way or with that imagery. And the idea of a watchman in battle is to be on guard, right? To go up into a high place, maybe one of the one of the corners of the walls of the city where you have one of these turrets maybe built up and he's watching. He's looking. He's he's looking for any any activity out there, torches, movement. And Isaiah kind of takes that role as a watchman. And the job of the watchman was to warn when danger was coming, right? Well, Isaiah's doing that, but from the role of a prophet. There's, there's danger coming. There's judgment from God coming. And the lookout shouted, day after day, my Lord, I stand on the watchtower every night, I stay at my post. Um, Just symbol of faithfulness, of vigilance, looking out to see what dangers may come. And look, here comes a man in a chariot with a team of horses, and he gives back the answer. Babylon has fallen, has fallen. All the images of its gods lie shattered on the ground. So this is the news coming back. Now, obviously, this is forward-looking, right? So this is forward-looking. This is a prophetic look down the road. And in a visionary, prophetic sort of way, Isaiah sees a messenger coming. And what is this messenger carrying? He's carrying the message that Babylon is done for, that Babylon has fallen. And, and repeating it twice to emphasize the certainty of it, right? Babylon is done. What's interesting is that these words from Isaiah 21, verse 9, are used two different times in Revelation. Revelation 14, and again in Revelation 18. And there, the Apostle John is talking about kind of the the end times fall of Babylon. And I take it that the Babylon that John is referring to is, is referring to kind of world governments, world powers that, that set itself up in a prideful way against God and against God's people. And Babylon throughout all of the Bible kind of became the poster child for that. Babylon became like the symbol for all evil empires that either persecuted God's people or were prideful against God, Babylon became the symbol for that. And so when John in Revelation 14 and 18 is saying Babylon has fallen, I think he's talking about the final defeat at the end of time of all, all empires, all earthly man-made empires that have set itself up against God. And John is talking about the ultimate triumph of King Jesus, right? Over everything. And so John uses those words to describe the end of everything in which Jesus conquers all of, all of his enemies. But here Isaiah is referring to the literal Babylon and, and that at some point down the road, God is going to judge them and they're certainly going to fall. This is Isaiah looking to the fall of Babylon, a little bit future from where he is. And, and God, God is the Lord of all the earth, right? So he is, he has the authority to do this. He is the sovereign one. He rules over the nations. And one of the messages of all of the prophets is that God is the true king. God is the one who really reigns. 
You've got all these other kings and empires that rise and fall, but God's kingdom lasts forever. And so Isaiah is talking about the sovereignty of the Lord, and the Lord can use whoever he wants. He can use Babylon to judge Judah, but he can use the Medes and the Persians to judge Babylon. And he can use the Greeks to judge the Medes and the Persians. He can, judge, he can use the Romans to judge the Greeks. He can do whatever he wants because he's the Lord of heaven and earth. And all, again, all of these things that, that seem like just normal human events unfolding in history, it's a part of God's story. It's a part of God's plan. So God's going to judge Babylon. My people, talking about the people of Israel now, my people who are crushed on the threshing floor, I tell you what I have heard from the Lord Almighty, from the God of Israel. That's a powerful image, isn't it? Crushed on the threshing floor. It's, it uses the imagery from Israel's agricultural way of life in which they would take seeds, they would take grain from the fields, and the, all the good seeds, they would, they would take it to the threshing floor, they would, they would beat it, they would beat the seeds and the grains, they would separate it from the chaff, and then they would take it and then they would thresh it and grind it as well, grinding it into flour so they could use it in, in baking and meal preparation. And so, but in other places in scripture, that literal meaning of threshing and of grinding wheat, it became used as kind of a metaphor for people who were beaten down, people who were crushed, people who were uh, oppressed by others. And so it uses that image of God's people having been oppressed like wheat or grain in a threshing floor by Babylon. This is good news, isn't it? This is good news. Your enemies are now defeated. And Isaiah is basically saying in verse 10, God wanted me to convey that message to you. That your enemies are going to be defeated. And again, reinforces that message don't trust these people. Don't put your trust in princes, in these armies, in these alliances. Your trust needs to be in God because he's the only one that can last forever. Babylon can't last forever. Assyria can't last forever. The Medes and the Persians, they won't last forever. God lasts forever. So put your trust in him. And then just a couple of really short verses here about Edom, verses 11 and 12. And Edom, if you remember, Edom is um, the descendants of Esau. So kind of like long lost relatives of Jacob, of the peoples of Abraham. But um, Esau had, had left the, the promised land. Remember, Jacob went away. Jacob got married to Leah and Rachel. He came back with Leah and Rachel and all of his children, all of his flocks came back to the land of Isaac. And Esau took his people and his flocks and then he left. He went to another place. Knowing that the birthright and the blessing belonged to Jacob. And so the promised land began, began belonged to Jacob as the rightful heir of Isaac and his and the blessing. So Esau went off and he moved over to the east and south. And so if you kind of picture a map of the Holy Land, um, you've got the Mediterranean Sea over here, Jordan River running down, and then down here you have the Dead Sea. And so Edom is kind of over here, down south and east of the Dead Sea. And, and they were, depending on at what point in time we're talking about, they were kind of uh, hostile to God's people. They were hostile to the Israelites. 
And probably the strongest message of judgment in all the Bible against Edom is found in the book of Obadiah. Obadiah, very short, minor prophet, his whole message is against Edom and their treatment of the Israelite people. But here we just get two quick verses on what's going to happen to Edom. So a prophecy against Duma. You say, Duma, I thought we were talking about Edom. Um, the way we know that this is Edom is because of Seir. Seir is located in Edom. And some people think that what's happening here with Duma is a little play on words with the name Edom that you really can't see in the English language. Actually, I guess you can a little bit because some of the consonants are the same. So you've got Edom, you've got Duma. So you can see there are some of the same consonants. It's a little wordplay. And Duma means silence or stillness. Probably implying the, the devastation or the silence and the stillness after devastation, after, after the ruins. And so this is talking about Edom, the dis- long descendants of Esau. So a prophecy against Duma. Someone calls to me from Seir, watchman. What is left of the night? Watchman, what is left of the night? The watchman replies, morning is coming, but also the night. If you would ask, then ask and come back yet again. It's kind of a little cryptic, isn't it? Kind of a, kind of a little hidden message in there. I think probably the, the symbolism there is the idea of the night coming. The night following the morning. In other words, Uh, The time of night, if you're a watchman, the time of night is the time when you need to be alert. It's the time when danger can come. It's also the time when you're probably most afraid of danger coming. It's dark, it's quiet, it's still, and danger could come from anywhere. That's probably the imagery that is being used here of the night and the stillness of the night. Kind Kind of impending doom is the way that verses 11 and 12 read. And then we see verses 13 to 17, a few verses about Arabia. And Arabia would be even further to the east from Edom and uh, probably a little bit south of, um, of the land of Babylon. So we're looking probably over in the, the Arabian Peninsula um, where these peoples would be. A prophecy against Arabia. You caravans of Dedanites who camp in the thickets of Arabia. Bring water for the thirsty. You who live in Tima, bring food for the fugitives. Now, verse 13 mentioned Dedan or the Dedanites. And verse 14 mentioned Tima. And most of the your uh, archaeological or commentary type books that I looked at suggested that, that these two places in particular were, were famous oases in, in the land of Arabia. So places where you could stop and get refreshed, places where you could stop and get water along, along the path. And so this is an image of the people of Tima or the people of Didan bringing out water, perhaps from these oases, and bringing them out to the fugitives. Who are the fugitives? 
many of the commentaries I read suggested that these are perhaps refugees fleeing from Babylon who have been conquered. So you've got Babylon in verses 1 through 10 being conquered, and the people are leaving, they're fleeing. And maybe many of them are heading south toward Arabia. So they flee from the sword, from the drawn sword, from the bent bow, and from the heat of battle. This is what the Lord says to me. Within one year, as a servant bound by contract would count it, all the splendor of Kedar will come to an end. Again, where is Kedar? It's in Arabia. The survivors of the archers, the warriors of Kedar, will be few. The Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. So what is that? It's an image of, of defeat, right? It's an image of defeat, of destruction. And, and what joins Babylon, Edom, and Arabia together? What links them together? Some have suggested that, that like Judah attempted to do and to find an alliance with Babylon for some of their problems and troubles, so also did Edom and Arabia. They tried to ally themselves with Babylon to, to join strength with them and to get their help in times of, of difficulty, times of trouble. And so what ends up happening then is if you attach yourself to someone in loyalty and alliance, guess what happens when that one falls? You also fall, don't you? So that's probably how these are links, how Edom and um, Arabia are linked. Babylon has fallen. And so any of those who have allied themselves with Babylon, they too are fallen. And so this is just a message of judgment. And it is from the righteous Lord who is judging sin, isn't he? Why does judgment come? Judgment comes because of one reason, doesn't it? Because of sin. The Babylonian people were pagan. They were idolatrous. One of the verses we read talked about their gods having fallen and not protected them. Their false worship couldn't help them in the day of trouble. So they were pagans. They were idolaters. But also they were cruel. The way that they treated their enemies was incredibly cruel. And especially the way they treated God's people. God's covenant people. And so he is judging them rightly, justly as the judge of all the earth. And he's doing it in a sovereign way in his time, according to his timetable. And he's moving nations to do it, isn't he? He's accomplishing his purposes through all of these movements that are happening on the human level. And so again, the Lord is the Lord of all the earth. He's, he's the King. He has the right to judge because he's righteous and true. And because he is the ever enduring one, he is the ever righteous one. He is the one in whom we should trust, not the fleeting kingdoms of this world. And so this is where the prophets present a really good perspective for us. Because, I mean, if you think about it from history, you know, many of us in here, there's probably, I don't think there's anybody in here that's older than 80, 85 you know, that's in the grand scheme of things, that's a very short amount of time, isn't it? That's a short amount of time. And 
you look at how old our country is. How old is America? 240, roughly 243, somewhere in there, years old. It's, that's, a, that's a short blip in terms of world history. And, and we can put our trust and our confidence in how strong America is right now. But you never know. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years could be nothing. You just don't know what history is going to bring, do you? So, I mean, in, in 1980, would you have said the Soviet Union would have ever fallen and collapsed and fallen apart? Uh, at 1980, they seemed to be pretty strong and directly competing with us on everything. But within eight or nine years, the Berlin Wall had fallen. Soviet Union was crumbling apart. And they lost a lot of their power, didn't they? A lot of their power, a lot of their influence. You never know how things are going to unfold. Babylon, for a period, was sitting on top of the world. But that was short-lived because God was ready to judge them and to bring them down for their wickedness. Who knows what God will do in our land? But one of the things that we know for sure as God's people is our trust needs to be in God. Our trust doesn't need to be in Congress or in the Constitution or in our judges or in our president because they're all going to let us down. But God will never let us down. And that was the message Isaiah was trying to convey to God's people. No matter how strong these empires seem, they're going to let you down. But God won't. So trust him.